This morning, I'm really just telling you my story, uh, my testimony, uh, particularly uh, my testimony as a young person and what God's done in my life in the midst of, in the midst of some tragedy. But I do want to acknowledge before I begin, I want to say that, uh, you know, I know that if I was to go around the room, there's probably a lot of people going through tragedy in their life. And you might be in the middle of a really tough situation right now and so I'm not getting up here to say that this is the most tragic story ever I'm not here because I need your sympathy God's done incredible things in my life and, and I'm not here to say that what's happened to me is so much worse than what's happened to anyone else it's not but I am here to just proclaim what the goodness of God and tell you what he's done in my life and and how he's provided and made a way and I really hope it's encouraging and faith building this morning uh so to and uh it's, there's a lot of things in the story, and I don't have that much time, I suppose. So uh, if it's a little bit, you know, over the place, uh, forgive me. There's a lot to try and explain. Uh, but I'll just start at the beginning. I was born uh, uh, 1984 to a woman called Faye Hamilton, and she was a single mum. And I uh, never really knew my dad growing up, although I'll tell you a little bit about what I do know about him later on. And she was, I, I think from memory, she must have been about 35 when she had me. And she really saw me as a, as a gift from God in her life. She'd had some difficulties in her life. She, in, in many ways, hadn't had an easy life. And uh, she really just saw this as, as, as God blessing her and God, you know, just... just you know, calling her back and giving her something good. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll cut to the end. You know, while it, she felt it was an amazing blessing and great things were going to start happening, seven years, seven to eight years later, my mum died of breast cancer. And that's, pretty, that's a pretty tough uh, situation when uh, you're a single mum and you've got a young son. And uh, it's even tougher given her family, informa- family uh, situation. Uh, because uh, she herself was adopted uh, when she was young. She was abandoned by her mum. Her parents passed away just before I was born, so she didn't have any brothers, didn't have any sisters, didn't have any actual real family surrounding her. Uh, she had some cousins uh, living in Adelaide, but no close, immediate family. And, uh, you know... I would love for, to be able to get up here and, uh, and uh, tell you that this was a story about healing, perhaps, because I know there's people facing challenges. And, you know, it's not a, it's, my story's not a story about healing, although, you know, I'm hoping that it's still a faith-building story because we need to have faith for those things and we need to believe that God can and, and does and will and is, is willing and able to heal today. But it's not my story. Uh, you know, she had a uh, breast cancer battle for two or three years, uh, and really, I think when I look back, I think my life should have probably been a real mess from that point on. Uh, and by all rights, I reckon there was a lot stacked against me and uh, my future should have been pretty bleak in that scenario and pretty tough, but that's really not my story either. My story, I think, is about how in the midst of, of heartbreaking tragedy and how in the middle of a situation that looks forsaken and maybe looks like it, uh, God has forgotten uh, his people. My story is, is about the fact that, that 
that God is still sovereign and that God in his, in his wisdom is able to do things that in the middle of a situation we might not understand and we might not be able to see. And in my story, I really hope that it reveals this morning that God really is a, a truly loving father. And there's a couple of human fathers in my story, but I think above them, my testimony is really about God the Father and his love for his children. So I just want to spend some time and tell you about it now. I was raised, she was a, she was a Christian, and she sort of came back to God when uh, she had me, she was seeing a guy who wasn't a Christian, and she really, felt that, uh, she really felt like God said to her, and she said these things to me, that's how I know them, and uh, she really felt like God said, you've got to cut this guy out of your life. He's not going to let you raise your son right. He's not going to let you raise him uh, in a Christian way. And so I, I look back and I think, that must have been so hard for a woman who had no family to take this one guy who had shown her some love at the age of 35 and, to be able to, and just be able to say no, like to end that relationship. I think that takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage and must have been incredibly difficult for her to do that. But, but she did because she really felt like she had to raise me right. And we, we, I was brought up in church. We were at the CRC, the, uh, the Crusade Revival Center as it was back then on Sturt Street. Church is still there today. And it was a Pentecostal church. I remember there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of speaking in tongues when I was young and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I didn't really always understand it. I tried to speak in tongues for mum once and I definitely hadn't yet received that spiritual gift and I'm not making this up I can remember in my head that I was just saying carrot in weird ways a lot of times honestly I have that memory in my lounge room of being like hey mum I think I can speak in tongues now and uh yeah couldn't but she was nice to me she was like oh yeah that's great well done so uh but she, so she was like sold out Pentecostal. She believed in everything we believe. I guess the great challenge and what certainly had an impact on me for a long time is that she really believed she was going to get healed. She in no way thought that she was going to die. And she, and I've had other people explain it to me since that knew her, her friends, that, like I said before, she felt like I was her gift from God and there's no way she, God would destroy that situation. And so I've got her Bibles. I've kept them. And I, I, I can flip through. And she's highlighted every single Bible verse about healing in that Bible. But she didn't get her healing. And it was tough. And, uh, but I really... You know, I said I'm going to jump around a bit. I know another thing, though, that my mum was believing for was that I would have a father, like a father who knew God and, uh, and would raise me right. And, and I remember because she would pray for that with me. She'd be like, we'd be like, you know, sitting on the couch and she'd be like praying and God, give him a father and God, you know, let, you know do all this stuff. And I, and, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but when I look back as I got a bit older... Every now and again, some random man would just sort of like appear and take me to the football or something. And I was raised pretty conservative, pretty old school. So every person, every adult I ever met was an uncle or an auntie. So all of a sudden, like Uncle Alan would appear out of nowhere. And Uncle Alan's going to take you to the football today. And I didn't really know what was going on, but I think mum was looking, you know. She wanted a a husband and she wanted uh, me to have a father and, 
And uh, so, yeah, I had a few random uncles uh, come in and out of my life. And, uh, yeah, don't, don't remember too much about them, uh, to be honest. But I do remember going to the SANFL with one, and I wasn't ready for it. I was like five years old. It was like a double header. And I was like, Mum, I don't want to see Uncle Alan again. Football's boring. <laughs> Ironically, uh, I love football now, so maybe Uncle Alan has had some impact in my life that he just doesn't know about. But part of my story is also what wasn't happening in my world at that time. And... In another part of Adelaide, there was, a, there was a couple who were desperate, Christian couple, desperate to have children, like believing for a big family. And they just couldn't. Like, they eventually, eventually they just got medically, you know, did all the tests, and the reports came back and said, you just, you cannot physically have children. And that was heartbreaking for them. And they'd had... Prior to that, they'd had people prophesy over their lives, like, you're going to have a son. They had people, like, give them really specific testimonies. And uh, they just didn't see it for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, like, it's not like a spoiler alert, but I sort of have to, like, jump ahead and jump back to try and get make sense of things this morning. And so, basically what happened is, back, in, back with mum, eventually a woman in the church, one of the, I guess one of the pastoral team that really took my mum under her wing, she had to be the one to sit her down and say, you are probably going to die. Which I can imagine is a pretty hard thing to say to someone. Because like I said, she 100% didn't think that she was going to die. She was convinced God would heal her. And... Uh, you know, the fact that God didn't heal her made it really tough for me. As It's funny that I'm in this place now because for a long time I couldn't have been in a place that believed in healing. God had to sort of work on that with me as well because when, you, when you've seen your mum pray and pray and pray and believe and believe and believe and the healing doesn't come, that has an effect on you. I know because I know as a, young, as a young Christian, as someone who, you know, remained in church... I just really couldn't believe in healing. Like, I knew that he did because I hear other people's testimonies, but I didn't really want to be in a place that was like this, where we actually just pray. And it's not like, you know, it's not, you know, oh God, if it's your will, and just, just we ask you to help a little bit. And, you know, would you comfort them? And that's the sort of prayers that I was comfortable with. And it's been a real... It's been a real change. It's been a, it's been a real Holy Spirit thing on the inside of me to get me to a point where now I can get up here and I can be the one leading the prayer on a, on a Sunday morning. And, and uh, God really had to release some stuff off my life. It was, I, I know that he was, the Holy Spirit was dealing with that. And uh, so again, while I, this is not a, it's not a story about healing, I, I want to just proclaim that because just because he didn't heal in my mum's situation doesn't mean he can't and won't heal in yours but he had other plans I'm gonna I gotta I gotta keep going to get to them or I'm gonna run out of time so this this woman sits my mum down and says we need to think about what's going to happen to your son because he very well is going to end up parentless and there's not really anyone to take care of him when you're gone like really not anyone and uh 
So she didn't know what to do. She was really at a loss. But thank God for the people God brings alongside. Because this, this woman, and her name, her name was Catherine, and uh, she uh, had, a, had a brother. And the brother was in another church, and the brother was friends with the couple I was telling you about before. The couple that couldn't have children, but believed God had told them that they would have children. God, God had told them they would have a son. And so just one of those things, God just brought these things together. And really, I feel like my testimony is, it, what it's really about is that God can take broken situations and do something incredible with them. And I've seen it in my life how the brokenness of a childless couple and the brokenness of a, of a single mum who believed uh, that she was not going to die, believed that her son was a gift from God, was believing that her son would have a father, God takes these broken situations and he takes this broken little boy. And I didn't really remember how broken I, I was because you're, you're young and I've, I've got lots of memories, but I don't really remember that much. I've got a couple of things that I'll share a bit later on, but I've, I've had the privilege of, I actually work now in the school that I went to as a young fellow and I've met a lot of teachers that taught me when I was seven or eight and I've sort of been out of here from them oh we remember when you were going through that it was tough and you were man you were not in a good place I don't remember that but I've heard from others that I was broken and hurting and really struggling and so God just takes three broken situations and just brings them together and sometimes I think of it like three strands that he weaves together into something new. Sometimes I think of it like three broken bits of glass that he brings together and makes something new, like a stained glass window or something like that, where broken things that uh, look on their own have nothing to offer, God is able to put them together and make something new and to make something beautiful and to make something strong. And so, but it's not always easy. And it's very, uh, this is a long time in the past for me, but it wasn't easy. So I remember meeting them once, and again, I I don't, you know, have heaps of memories, but I do remember they came to see me one day, and I I just sort of met them, and and I think they sort of said, you know, you might go live with these guys if I die, and I was like, okay, that's pretty full on. But then, you know, I don't don't know how long that was before my mum died, and, and, uh, but, you know, she did die, and it wasn't easy. I couldn't remember. This is one of the clearest memories. I've got lots of memories about her dying and, and that, but I don't need to go into those this morning. But I do remember that they were traveling at the time. They were like traveling ministers. It just is an easy way to summarize it. And so she flew home, and I'm calling it, I call her mum now, not to confuse you, but that's sort of a bit of a giveaway at the end of the story too. So this, this woman, Kathy is her name. She flies home. To flies back to Adelaide to just be there for me to you know stay in town while the funeral's happening just and just because you know ripping someone who's just lost their mum and taking them on a plane to some other part just wasn't the right thing to do but so she stayed with me in my mum's flat and I can remember the searing anger and really just the rage of a young child just burning inside me when I saw her sit in my mum's chair so I know it wasn't easy. So I can say that God brings things together, but there are, there's a process. 
And I'm just on the other side of it, so I'm able to sort of snapshot it. But I just remember as a young man looking at her and thinking, how dare you sit in that chair? Because, you know, you know, some of you have parents, that, you know, they've got that mum's chair, dad's chair. Oh, that was mum's chair. And I remember just so much resentment inside of me. Soon after that, you know, they, they took me on the plane, and I don't really remember it. I, I have sort of good memories of it. I'd never been on a plane before. But every time mum tells the story, she just ages a little bit. Because she said it was the hardest, most awful day of her life. And in every way, I acted up, apparently. I cracked it about everything. I was screaming in the middle of Adelaide Airport because she wouldn't buy me a lemonade, all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, there was pain and there was hurting. And although God was putting things together, there was still a way to go. But the miracle of it is is that six months after that moment, six months after I'd stared at her and felt nothing but anger and disgust and rage that this woman that would try and come and take my mum's place, to makes me feel emotional just saying it, six months later, I just slipped into calling them mum and dad. If that's not the work of God in my life, I don't know what is. Because I was a mess. And then it just started happening. It just slipped out. I can remember it slipping out, and I hadn't even consciously decided that was what I was going to do. It just came out, and then we sort of had to have a conversation. Oh, because I was calling them Uncle Kathy, uh, Uncle, not Uncle Kathy, <laughs> Auntie Kathy and Uncle Peter. Might have been calling her Uncle Kathy to her for when I was angry. I don't know. And then they were like, well, do you want to start calling us Mum and Dad? And I was like, yeah, I do. Because they just felt like, mum and dad and there's just hand of God all, all over it in so many ways like I, I, don't, I can't get all into them this morning but like we look like each other I walk like my dad I look like my dad like it's just weird you know like it's just there's just God just picked it perfectly and it wasn't too later on mum was looking back through some diaries and she wrote down the date of uh, the time she got a prophecy that they'd have a son and it was basically it would have been like within weeks or months of me being born in 1984 that the prophecy came to her and it's just she didn't realize that until she was flipping back through these old diaries and it and it's amazing what God was doing in even when no one knew when they had to wait seven, eight, nine, ten years for their son. When my mum never got to see me have a father. She never got to see it. But she prayed for it. She believed in it. And, in, and I tell this story to kids a lot because I'm a school teacher. And it's been one of the great things. And, and I, this, is not a, this is not really what I'm here to address. But like a year ago... I always tell, we go on grade 7 camp and there's 60, 70 kids and I always tell the story one night for devotions. And, I, and I'd done it for the four years previously and I was I just, I just like, ah, oh, it's just it's easy for me. To, I've done it so many times. I should actually prepare something fresh and get a fresh revelation from God for these kids. And I felt God just stop me in my tracks and he said, no. The reason sometimes that bad things happen to good people is so that good people can help others when they're going through trouble. And that's, you know, and it's such a hard question. And you might be in the middle of, of, of a really hard situation or maybe you're still dealing with a tragedy in the past and I'm not here to present condescending, neat little answers because I don't think they exist. But I do know that 
God, it does allow us to go through difficult times. I've been through it. But God sometimes allows us to go through it. And on the other side of that, we're in a position where we can help other people, where we can, we can build faith in others, where we can guide them through situations. And every year I've spoken, it, it amazes me how often there's a kid that I'm in that group of 50 or 60 that's just lost a parent or his parent just got diagnosed with cancer. It just happens. It's, it's uncanny how often God has just put kids in rooms where I've told that story, that of dealing with really similar situations. But I know that's a bit of a sidetrack. And I was saying, I often say when I, when I say to the children, I say, God didn't, God didn't like, ever cause those bad situations. You know, he, don't, he didn't give my mum cancer so that he could give me a dad and he could then give these other people a couple. But he's able to look down and just see a mess and with human eyes, what no one else can see a way out of, he's just able to just move across it with his, put his Holy Spirit into it and just guide it and restore it. And that's just what I want to encourage you with this morning, you know, like, and there's, there's yeah, a bunch of other things I could say, you know, like, a lot of people ask me, like, do you ever want to go find your dad? Like, he's alive as far as I know. I've never heard that he's not. I think I saw him once when I was little. I think he, but I, even then I'm not really sure. But I did find out when I was 15 that he wasn't just a random guy. My mum actually met him when she was involved in like a prison ministry. And so he was a guy that she had been in jail and, and I, I don't know what he'd done, but obviously done some, you know, things that aren't great. And that's not really easy to hear when you're 15, that your dad was a criminal, that your dad had been in jail. I remember really feeling that really rocked my identity for a while. Because you start to think, well, what does that say about me? What, you know, I'm, I've sort of got half mum's genes, half of his, and I've got some of his DNA. And that can really, when, you, when you're in that sort of awkward teenage years where you're trying to find your identity, that was really tough. But, I've, it's, but God's really, I guess, spoken to my heart and spoke to my heart in that situation. when he's just saying, yeah, like, Yes, he's your father in a, in a physical sense, but he's, he's not the father of your spirit. He's not the father of your soul. I'm the father of your spirit. I'm the father of your soul. I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that knew you from the beginning of the earth. And, uh, it's what I'm, that's, and that's why I think this is just, I want to proclaim that to you on Father's Day because I know there of people every Father's Day. You might have lost your, lost your dad. You might have just had a really cruddy dad. I just want to proclaim this morning that God is your father as well. And I'm, not that if you had a great dad and you lost him, I, I feel for you. I really do. I lost my mum and I know what that's like. But the great news is that we serve a God who chooses to be our father. And at the very end of my story, and I'm just running it slightly out of time, but I called him mum and dad, and we felt like family. But then we realized when I was going through year 12, I was 17, we realized, well, when they were guardians, and we, what happens with guardianship is that it ends at the age of 18. You can't be a guardian to another adult. That's just weird and creepy. And so... It, there, and although I, what, my, what my situation has revealed to me 
is that family is so much more than blood and genetics and DNA. Family are the people that love you and that you love, and that, that's what I know. But at the same time, it just felt like, well, we'd like it to be official somehow, you know, that, that we're family. And so we thought, well, we should probably get adopted. I should probably get adopted. And so at the start of 2002, just before... I turned 18, we were in the family court of South Australia getting adopted, and it was really weird. I'm probably the, possibly the oldest person to be adopted in the history of South Australia, which is actual truth. That's what the judge said to me. He said, well, we don't have records that go back that far, but he says, as far as I know, you could very possibly be the oldest person to ever be adopted, uh, in Adelaide at least, and... uh, it was really funny because they've got to ask you all these questions because they've got to make sure that the person doing the adopting isn't, an, isn't, a, isn't violent or abusive. Or, and so he just, by law, though, has to ask me all these questions that they're normally asking to little kids. So I go with him to his office and, you know, obviously mum and dad aren't allowed to come in because <laughs> he's got to make sure that they're doing the right thing by me. And so he's going through his questions with this, like, real half sort of smirk on his face, like... Do they treat you nicely? <laughs> are, are, they, are, they, are they nice people? Oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they treat me nice. Yeah, yeah. They're. But uh, it's, it was really funny. And, you know, so we've got all these photos where the, the, the court, the family court's just full of all these workers and they all just thought it was hilarious. They'd never seen someone so old get adopted before. And uh, so I, I kept my last name, but I put in Sparrow as a middle name and as a, just a way to acknowledge them, uh, but also to, you know, to acknowledge... You know, I didn't want to lose you know, my connection to my mum and that, but that, you know, I have parents now. I, they're they're mum and dad, and I'll go hang with them this afternoon, and I love them. And, uh, and so I just want to finish. I, I want to just share some Bible verses. My mum wrote this one in my, in my first Bible. It was the Salty Bible. I think I've mentioned that before. <laughs> Salty and his kids, Rhapsody and Harmony. and I was brought up real conservative. There was not a lot of non-Christian entertainment in my house growing up. It was Colby and Salty and Rap and Rabbit and it was tough. Nah, to be honest, I loved it at the time. I didn't know any better. But this is the verse she wrote in the, uh, the front of my Bible and I've shared it a bunch of times even just around offerings, communions because I think it's one of the most treasured it's the verse i really treasure the most now and i don't even know if she knew she had cancer when she wrote this in my bible maybe she did maybe she didn't but it's 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 really stayed with me and i think it was just definitely a word from god that that was what she should leave me with and it's proverbs 3 5 and 6 uh, i don't know if that's on the screen it is trust in the lord with all your heart do not depend on your own understanding Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. I don't think it's a powerful verse. I just want to share a few. There's, there's a lot of verses like this in the Bible. Psalm 37, 5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. 
You know, and some of these verses are so famous, you know, like it's easy to it's easy to get blasé to verses like this that you see a lot. You see them in Christian memes and posters and bookmarks and but you but there's power in them. And if you're in the middle of a tough t- a season of your life, if there's if you're in feel like you're in strife or there's something happening in your life that you don't understand, hold on to these verses. Grab a hold of them. Believe in them. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You know, that verse isn't a promise that there will never be disaster or tragedy or heartbreak in your life. It's a promise that in the middle of those situations, the good and perfect plans for you that God has created remain in place and He can still take you to them and He will still guide you towards them. you just got to trust in Him, believe in Him. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Turn back to God. You know, I want to just finish with one quick thought. And I know, because of the story I've just shared, I know the power of adoption. And I, I think, even growing up myself, I think it's easy to look, and I've said this before, I think, but it's easy to look at adoption as like a lesser thing. It's a thing for broken people. It's just a thing where... You know, it's like a governmental thing and it's just people trying to help out. But I know that the power of adoption is real. And I know that my adopted family feels no less real than your real family. We are family. God has knitted us together. We love each other as if, you know, they were my real blood parents. And the Bible talks about adoption. The beauty of adoption is really for me, and I got to—I can really—I can speak to the honesty of this because, like I said, I was adopted when I was nearly uh, in the eyes of the law an adult. The beauty of adoption is that it's about choice. Both parties choose to love each other and to make a commitment to each other. And the Bible talks about adoption. It talks about the fact that we are adopted by God, that He chooses us as his sons and daughters. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17 says this, So if you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins our spirit. I love that. To affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. I like it. I love that because my mum and dad, Peter and Kathy, they chose to love me. They didn't have to. I wasn't born to them. I wasn't their son. But they chose to love me. They chose to adopt me. And Now, some people get adopted when they're very little, but at some point, every adopted child, every adopted son and daughter has to choose that they're going to love that man and woman back as their own mother and father. God's already chosen to love you. God's already made a commitment to you. I don't like crying up here, but this is... very real for me 
God sees you as you really are. He doesn't see you as your past. He doesn't see you perhaps as other people see you. God's able to see the best in you. God's able to see a way for you to be all that he created you to be. Because you're his child and in God there's never a point of no return. There's never a point where a mum or dad I hope fully reject their child. Maybe they do on this earth but that's not God. In him there's no point of no return. You're his child. He chooses you have to choose to love him back and if you've never known that before then I just want to say to you today that he's waiting for you to choose him too maybe we can just close our eyes for a sec